If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center, Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. DeVos, she was Trump's Secretary of Education. Secretary of Education says mm-hmm. Biden has uh, can't just wave a magic wand and get rid of the college debt. It's interesting. I was uh, listening to a podcast yesterday. Maybe the biggest opponent, maybe the smartest, biggest opponent to the whole student loan bailout thing is Charlie C.W. Cook of the National Review. But he says, we no longer have a functioning republic if Biden gets away with this. Mostly around the amount of money. If the president can just decide, I'm going to do this with a half a trillion dollars. $500 billion, by some estimates. I can, I can, I'm going to do this with a half a trillion dollars. Without Congress being involved? Well, then what are we at that point? Based on a flimsy, flimsy claim of emergency powers related to COVID. The HEROES Act. It actually goes back to that's the justification. Do you remember what that was? That was after 9-11 and we got into the wars in Iraq to make sure that soldiers who went to fight in Fallujah wouldn't get dinged for not paying their student loans. They're using that to justify this. Wow, that's a stretch. 
But if the president of the United States can start moving around a half a trillion dollars that way, it's over. You know, I think that's a little overstating it, but not a lot overstating it. It's in danger of being over, no doubt. You are absolutely deal. You're you're uh, uh, toying with a fatal drug. Wow. Well, speaking of fatal drugs, man, we could have gone into this, but it's just kind of depressing. Um, the number of overdoses from fentanyl-laced pills, uh, uh, counterfeit pills. You know, there's a story about a little town in Texas that's had a couple of kids die in the last what is it week or so, and. Uh, a bunch of overdoses, many of them fatal in that county. It's just tell your kids, kids, you don't have to tell me anything, whatever. Pills these days, pills are likely to have fentanyl in them. Don't take any pills that didn't come directly from a pharmacy. And if the person selling them to you says, oh, yeah, they came from the pharmacy, that's not directly. That's indirectly. Anyway, enough of that screed. We've said it before. Yeah. Uh, Are you familiar with the screw tape letters? C.S. Lewis, yes. Yeah, Jack, I know you are. I read it years and years ago. I should read it again. It's it's a satire in essence, but it's the the idea of it is uh, screw tape is a senior demon. And he is writing letters to his nephew, Wormwood, who is trying to claim the soul of a British man who they just refer to as the patient. And it's it's a book all about temptation and resisting temptation, but it's from the other side, C.S. Lewis, and a brilliant bit of, you know, coin flipping. Uh, so you'd understand, you know, how temptation comes at you and how how it works. It's absolutely wonderful. Um, well, this is kind of a satire of that satire. It's a piece... Um, by a fellow by the name of Peter Kersenow, who wrote this in the National Review, but it's entitled, My Dear Wormwood, on the Matter of Equity. So it's taken that form. But he's explaining to his demon nephew how to convince well-meaning people of this whole equity thing. I was unsurprised to learn of the patient's struggles in comprehending the precise meaning of equity, The difficulty proceeds from his default to reason, presuming that the term is meant to have a commonly held meaning. Kindly instruct the patient that equity is a remarkably elastic tool for the acquisition of power. Wow. For the distribution of benefits, the assertion of moral superiority, and the enforcement of ideological conformity. It means whatever he wants it to mean. But in any case, it is always good and right. Thus, it renders him the sovereign arbiter of what is good and equitable, an irresistible flattery that suggests that no one, from Aristotle to Aquinas to the founders, had probably considered the correct administration of equity. Accordingly, the patient will rationalize repudiating these stale figures, as well as eternal truths, in furtherance of his newly minted principles of equity and enlightenment. Wow, that's something. It's kind of a flowery way to put it, but yeah, that's the beautiful thing about the whole equity argument, is it means whatever they want it to mean, minute by minute. And it also chucks the eternal wisdom of mankind from Aristotle to the Founding Fathers. Well, to C.S. Lewis and George Orwell, for that matter. Cultivate, Cultivate in the patient an image of himself, 
as a protector and savior of the oppressed. He will quickly comprehend that most individuals and institutions will yield to nearly anything in the pursuit of equity. After all, it vaguely implies fairness and justice, but without any objective standards. For only the most deplorable would oppose equity. This will incline him toward applying the term promiscuously. Do not restrain him, for the term is most effective when used confidently, even arrogantly, before the public can discern that it is a Trojan horse designed to promote, through shame and coercion, lowered standards, disparate treatment, and false and absurd propositions that could not otherwise gain purchase or popularity. After all, few have the confidence to question, let alone oppose equity, even if they do not know precisely what equity is. And be assured that in the end, the patient will be convinced, as were all of our most celebrated patients throughout history, that anything is permissible in pursuit of equity, even tyranny, broken eggs, omelets, and all that. In my next letter, dear nephew, I shall address the delightfully insidious term tolerance. That's some really good writing. Yeah, that is. Brief and concise. Of course, that is redundant. I love that. It can mean anything they want it to mean. You use it confidently, even arrogantly, because nobody wants to be against equity, because it sounds vaguely like it's for fairness and all, and you never want to stand up to that. And keep in mind. Keep in mind, I might write to worm tape. If indeed the patient does resist equity, uh, call him a racist. Nobody wants to be called a racist. So we talked earlier about the growing revelation that the FBI warned all the media about the Hunter Biden laptop thing before it hit in an effort to get them to squash the story. I think that's what happened. It sure as hell looks like that. They definitely, I mean, this is certain, this is known, that they warned all the media outlets, including Facebook and Twitter, to watch out for Russian information, disinformation, uh, right before the story hit, with certainly enough of a, you know, this is what you should look for to, uh, to get everybody to squash it. Anyway, Britt Hume of Fox tweeted out, there's no evident reason the FBI cannot simply tell us what alleged disinformation it was warning Facebook about. Otherwise, the sequence of events suggests the Bureau was trying to suppress what it knew was a true story. The FBI had the laptop. you got to remember that. The FBI had Hunter Biden's laptop. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that guy from the, 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 the repairman, that a drunken Hunter Biden showed up with the laptop, gave it to that guy. That guy eventually gave it to the FBI. So the FBI had the laptop. So the F, if the FBI is going to claim that, no, no, we, we didn't specifically say the Hunter Biden laptop story was Russian disinformation, well, then what was the Russian disinformation floating around that people should be on the lookout for? Well, if it was just a generalized campaign of disinformation, that's fine. But I find it kind of suspicious that the FBI had the laptop. They warned all the big-time media and the big-time social media that there's Russian disinformation coming. Then the instant this story comes out and the social media squashed the coverage and suspended the New York Post, you had those 50 intelligence gurus, the 50 vaunted intelligence figures that included some of the heavyweights in intelligence. They came out and said, yes, this bears all the earmarks of Russian disinformation, the kind that the FBI just warned you about. This is that sort of thing, very much like it. Yes, yes, it is, when it wasn't at all. 
See, I think the whole Republicans take the House and they start investigating things. All right, you want to investigate Fauci, I suppose, the whole, uh, was he funding the virus stuff? Yeah, I suppose we should know that. But um, I want to know this. I want you to get Zuckerberg up there and, and say, make him testify under oath. What did the FBI exactly say to you when they called you up and said, watch out for this sort of stuff? Yeah. Well, and I'm thinking about what we're arguing, and I'm trying to picture the other side, somebody making the opposite case, which I, I usually do to figure out if my argument's any good. So they'd have to argue, all right, there was all sorts of Russian disinformation in the air. Uh, the FBI counterintelligence knew about it. They were pushing various narratives as hard as they could, which I believe, by the way, because uh, the Russians are constantly trying to screw with us. Um, and they warned all... But none of them landed. There weren't any big ones floating around before the election that we heard about. Right. I mean, some poor old lady organizing a golf cart parade in Florida, not realizing the Ruskies are behind it. Not good enough. The only bombshell story that hit was the Biden laptop. And then coincidentally, entirely coincidentally, Drunk Hunter's uh, laptop pops up. And the entirety of the Intelligence Committee leaps on it and says, this is fake, this is fake. Suppress the story, don't print it. But yeah. it was innocent. They, ju- they just were wrong. They were fooled, even though the FBI already had the laptop. Right. They knew it was real. It, you know, that case I'm making is not impossible, but it strains the credulity. And yes. if you've ever had your credulity strained, oh. you know how painful that oh, can be. Oh, man, ice it. I've got <laughs> alternate ice and heat. Because <laughs> it will swell. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And 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 the great Graham Potus is going to give us a speech. Uh, what to, uh, Thursday night on the soul of the nation in prime time? Oh Lord! Which I will only watch to see how old he looks or sounds. Otherwise, I'll read it. But a prime time speech by the president usually a big deal. Anyway, used to be. Uh. So more than a bunch of different stuff. You can join in the conversation any time you want. If you got an interesting angle or something we haven't seen, our text line is 415-295-KFTC. We should talk more about uh, how the Joe's been on this kick that the whole green energy thing is way overblown. We ain't there yet. We ain't ready. Oh, yeah. It's a fiction. Uh, it's It's magic beans. Some stats to back that up, among other things, on the way. Family Guy will be off the air forever. You should like that show. Your sense of humor is just like Family Guy. Don't you ever, ever compare me to Family Guy. You hear me, Kyle? Compare me to Family Guy again, and so help me, I will kill you where you stand. Do you have any idea what it's like? Everywhere I go. Hey, Cartman, you must like Family Guy, right? Hey, your sense of humor reminds me of Family Guy, Cartman. I am nothing like Family Guy. When I make jokes, they are inherent to a story. Deep, situational, and emotional jokes based on what is relevant and has a point. Not just one random interchangeable joke after another. <laughs> wow. So, Little so, inside comedy slash baseball humor there. Cartoon comedy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Grown-up, adult-themed cartoon comedy. South Park taking on Family Guy. 
Not random jokes. Crossing the fourth wall or the fifth column or (laughs) the third dimension or whatever that expression is. God, my kids love Family Guy, but it's so hard to find anything we can watch. I mean, just like little segments. They like the puking segment. They like the cool whip. They like the walkie-talkie over. Under, over, right? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Oh, to find a complete episode they can watch? Oh, Oh, no, 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 no. no. I know that's an impossibility, but it's hard to even find sketches. I don't know if I've ever made it through a complete episode of Family Guy without turning it off. I get offended by something and think, I'm not going to be party to this. Wow, yeah, I watch it a fair amount, but yeah, it's offensive. They're gleefully offensive. They they yeah. like offending you. Uh, well, and you got to have a hobby. Uh, speaking of comedy, why not? There's too much angering and depressing news, so let's stay on the funny theme. Uh, Michael, does this need any setup? It's it's Eddie Murphy doing Bill Cosby. Yes, right? from back in the day. Back in the day. Do you watch the Bill Cosby Show? I do too. I love Bill Cosby's show. I've been a, a big fan of Bill Cosby all my life. Never met the man before, but he called me up about a year ago and chastised me on the phone for being too dirty on stage. And it was real weird because I had never met him. And when Bill Cosby chastised you, you forget you grown. You feel like one of the Cosby kids. And I ran in the house all excited to talk to Bill and picked up the telephone and Bill got raw on me. I was like, hello, Mr. Cosby. And you hear, I would like to talk to you. About some of the things that you do in your show. That's the end? Yeah. Do you remember, uh, so Saturday Night Live had their big, whatever, it was 40th anniversary special several years back, and it was freaking awesome. And uh, Eddie Murphy was on there and didn't do anything, and it was really weird, and... And then the story came out that he was he was going to do a Bill Cosby routine. And he decided, like, that night there on the stage that he didn't think it was appropriate to go after the guy at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and just so he did, didn't do anything. One of the biggest stars in the history of Saturday Night Live didn't do anything that night. on, And it, it just seemed weird. But I, I'm kind of surprised by that since Bill Cosby, I've heard that whole routine. Bill Cosby called him up and, like, really lectured him about his his humor and... He this actually hit him with the whole "you're too talented to work" blue. Uh, yeah, exactly. And then, in 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 light of the fact that you turn out to be a multi-decade rapist, uh, I, I'd feel feel free to make fun of you on a Saturday Night Live. But well, he has strong opinions about comedy and about drugging women and raping them. I'm okay with having sex with unconscious women that I tricked into drinking something. Uh, it's it's uh, the, the, the illegal and horrible and unethical, but I do not like foul language. On stage. Yeah, foul exactly. language in my comedy in a nightclub. I don't I'll not have a, that. That's over the line. That's an interesting thing about all humans, right? We all do it. We got we got lines on certain things, and then on other things they're squishy. Not, yeah. Not usually to that extent, obviously, but no. Have you heard the the uh, rumors that this is going to be the last season of Saturday Night Live? I have not. Uh, is this the fiftieth uh, year? I don't think I've so. heard repeatedly. Uh, uh, it started uh, in like 76, 77, so it couldn't be the 50th year. 76? Something like that, yeah. Huh. Look it up, Alex. What year was Saturday Night Live the first year? Yeah. Well, I'm an idiot. I, what did I read? Oh, maybe it's when Lorne Michaels is going to retire. 1975, October 75. Yeah, I wonder. Well, I'm sure we'll uh, uh, get the word. Yeah, I would think when Lorne Michaels leaves, that's the end of it. No doubt about it. 
The idea of transitioning to so-called green energy anytime in the next 20 years is a ridiculous fairy story. The evidence coming up in moments. If you miss an hour of the show, grab the podcast. It runs on oil. Armstrong and Getty On Demand. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s... I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Armstrong and Getty Show. How come migrants are allowed to come into this country unvaccinated, but world-class tennis players are not? Are you you're talking about which world-class tennis player? Novak Djokovic. So, as far, you know, just to just since you asked about me about him, you asked me about him. So visa records are confidential under U.S. law. Uh, therefore, the U.S. government cannot uh, discuss the details of individual visa cases. But so they're two different things. They're two different things. But so are, how is it two different things? Somebody unvaccinated comes over on a plane. You say that's not okay. Somebody walks into Texas or Arizona unvaccinated. They're allowed to stay. But, Why? But that's not how it works. Yeah. Like we actually no. Happening. I know that that's not what you guys want to happen, but that is what what is happening. But that's not. It's not like somebody walks over and <laughs> that's not that's, that's not how. Exactly what's happening. We well, thousands of people are walking in a day. We are fixing a broken system that was actually left uh, by the last administration. And as it relates to the tennis star, that is totally different. That is a different process. That is the U.S. Open that he is part of. And there are CDC uh, federal guidance that he he needs to follow. I'm going to ask you, Jack, is that more angering or pathetic, that Uh, exchange? Uh... Yeah, I, I get no glee from it, really. Uh, or, or yeah, and I'm not really angered. She's just really bad at that. Yeah, they they hired a really bad. She's the worst press secretary anybody's ever had, um, according to lots of people that I respect their opinion who pay attention to that sort of thing. She is right. really, really, really not good at it. Well, yeah, the, that's the pathetic part of it. The angering part of it to me is just the utter lack of honesty. Your Jen Psaki's, your you know, go through the list of all the very people, various people, right sure, and left yeah. over the years. They're good at it, even if they might have been liars. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Well, they're all they have to. That's kind of what they're hired to do. But, people aren't just walking in. What? Man, how do you claim that? Yeah. Wow. Wow. You know, I I told everybody that, you know, we'll play that tape, then I'll make a transition to the other topic, but I'm just so flabbergasted by it. I'm not sure I can go on. Brave little me, I'll do my best. More than 40% of Americans think civil war will happen within a decade, according to a YouGov poll. So, Hmm. More on that coming up. That's not the YouGov poll from 1859. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's recently. Oh, okay. Uh, so we got this note from Paolo uh, pointing out on the topic of electric cars and the Green Revolution and the rest of it. Um, he said, uh, I pointed this out before, but I find it so incredible. I have to say it in a slightly different way. Maybe you'll find it useful. If we devoted all of the electricity currently produced in the United States, all of it, to powering electric cars, it wouldn't be enough to power those electric cars for the miles currently driven. We don't have the entire electric grid is insufficient to power a fleet of electric cars right now if we turned off every light, every motor, shut down every farm, every factory, every school, every library, every hospital, we wouldn't have enough electricity. Yeah, and then there's, uh, so even if you did have the electricity, you got the, how do you get it to your electric car, the new Inflation Reduction Act, um, included $500 million for charging stations? 
Or no, they're building 500,000 charging stations using $5 billion. And um, a report found that that's less than half of what is needed. And For what? For our current need, I guess. No, can't be. Or some arbitrary goal be some figure. Arbi- yeah, it'd be some arbitrary yeah. goal that nobody has any idea what's going to be the reality. And a consumer reports survey found that um, so they're they're given subsidies to try to get people to buy electric cars. You know, almost none of the electric cars qualify for the subsidies, which is kind of a humorous note. But even if they did, that's the number three issue most people have with electric cars. Number one and two being range and where to charge up. Price right. is the number three issue. Right. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I t- t- told I, I made a long drive to Los Angeles where there are more charging stations than anywhere else, probably on the planet, around California, probably anywhere in the world. Uh, probably has the best infrastructure, and it still was such a pain in the ass, I will not do it again. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, yeah. A, I'm a guy who owns an electric car. So there's a piece in the Wall Street Journal by James Freeman entitled, Why the Energy Transition Will Fail. New report highlights the staggering costs of the green delusions. And it's all based on this uh, big report that just came out from uh, the Manhattan Institute written by Mark Mills. And we talked about it before, but I think it's so important it bears uh, repeating, at least in part, um, regardless of facts or feelings about the climate, there are reasons why wind and solar power are not replacing fossil fuels. Wind and solar are no substitute for nuclear power either. And the government of California can issue as many proclamations and prohibitions as it wants against gasoline-powered vehicles. No doubt the Biden administration will enjoy spending the ocean of tax dollars now earmarked for low-intensity energy sources, but reality will stubbornly remain. In a new report from the Manhattan Institute, Mark Mills takes on the dangerous delusion of a global energy transition that eliminates the use of fossil fuels. Surveying energy markets and public policy around the world, Mr. Mills asked readers to, quote, consider that years of hypertrophied rhetoric and trillions of dollars of spending and subsidies on transition have not significantly changed the energy landscape. He notes that civilization still depends on hydrocarbons, fossil fuels, for 84% of all energy. 84%. That's an improvement from two decades ago of 2%. Trillions of dollars. 20 years, we've shaved 2% of energy use away from hydrocarbons. Solar and wind technologies today supply barely 5% of global energy, and electric vehicles still offset less than 0.5% of world oil demand, half a percent. And a couple of things he points out I found really, really interesting and stuff I hadn't thought of. He mentions that modern devices, the stuff we buy, sell, and trade, digital devices, for instance, and hardware, the most complex products ever produced at scale, require on average about a thousand times more energy to fabricate pound for pound than the products that dominated in the last century. It takes nearly as much energy to make one smartphone as it does one refrigerator. That's really quite amazing. I don't quite understand that, but I'll take their word for it. The global fabrication of smartphones now uses 15% as much energy as does the entire automotive industry, even though a car weighs 10,000 times more than a smartphone. Do you understand why that is? I don't. There are so many teeny tiny little components, so many very rare metals involved. Uh, I think I think it's that. And even though a car uh, the is very giant. functioning of computers uh, sucks up enormous amounts of power. And it doesn't take that much energy, maybe, to make a giant piece of sheet metal? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, the global cloud. Society's newest and biggest infrastructure uses twice as much electricity as the entire nation of Japan. So the things we value and do in the modern world are using more and more power. And the other factor I hadn't thought of was that's the the technologically advanced world of today. Advocates a carbon-free a carbon-free world underestimate, he writes, not only how much energy the world already uses, but how much more energy the world will yet demand. In America, there are nearly as many vehicles as people. It's almost one-to-one. While in most of the world, fewer than one in 20 people have a car. It's less than one to 20. More than 80% uh... of the world has never taken a single airplane flight. That part of the world where there's 20 people for every car... Their diamond lane must be just jam-packed. Probably less traffic in the other lanes. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, as the developing world develops, and they're like, uh, yeah, I'd like a car myself. The use of power is going to explode again. And the idea that we can supply electricity for it is just beyond fanciful. And then his final point is that if you look at the countries and places that have been the most serious about transitioning to so-called green energy, and I'm not against it. You know, I, I forgot to mention it this time. I'm not against it. I'm not tied to fossil fuel. I'm not in the employee of the oil industry. I, don't, I could give a crap. I just want what's true. I want to know what's true. I don't want to be defrauded. By, by empty promises. Uh, you know, people who are getting rich off these schemes, even as they do very little good. Uh, but they point out that the countries like Germany and Britain that have both gone the first, furthest down the grid transition path have seen average electricity rates rise 60 to 110% over the past two decade, decades. So costs have skyrocketed and they barely shaved away, well, just a couple of percentages of use of fossil fuels. So whatever that stat was you had about making smartphones takes as much energy or more energy than the automotive industry? Well, um, it takes nearly as much energy to make a smartphone as a refrigerator, and the fabrication of smartphones alone uses 15% as much as the entire automotive industry. I was just wondering, since like my electric car, which is in theory better for the environment, not why I bought mine, but... Um, it's uh, got tremendous communi- uh, computer power, the mm-hmm. top, the best Teslas. So I wonder what the break-even is even is on that. How long does it take to break even on the amount of energy it took to make that computer-laden electric car? Right. I wonder. Right. And that's been pointed out by many folks, including us. The batteries alone are enough of a concern. And again, I'm not trying to advocate for one position or another, but uh, what it takes to produce a battery, the mining of all those rare metals, it takes tremendous amounts of energy, not to mention what it does to the earth. Then, you know, the the refining of those materials, the the, the chemistry involved, the combining them, and, and, and then disposing of the batteries, the battery alone ought to make you very, very skeptical about calling something electric, quote-unquote, green. Yeah, and I agree. I have no problem with doing what is more environmentally friendly on a whole bunch of different things, but just I just want everybody to think these things all the way through. You know, the unforeseen consequences, try to foresee them. The best example, which we brought up yesterday, was the... When, when, did, when did the world... This is like in the 80s or the 90s? 
when we when we went away from the plastic bags, from the paper bags at the grocery store to the plastic bags, because killing trees, what could be worse than killing trees? And we went to plastic freaking bags. The 80s? Do you remember when did we make that transition? But it was just such a yeah, big deal there for a while. 80s, 90s, yeah. Paper or plastic, I remember it being a big thing. You say plastic, please! Because, and then it turned out it was way worse for the environment to have the plastic bags yeah. than the paper by far. It wasn't even close. So then, the great fix was the recyclable hemp bag or whatever the cloth or whatever the make Reusable, whatever yeah. it is. And yeah. then the studies coming out and showing that the amount of water it takes to make the cotton to make those bags is even worse than the plastic. So And that people use those thin plastic bags. Yeah. They used to use them right. to clean up dog poop, to line garbage cans, whatever. Now they buy other bags, much thicker, less biodegradable bags for that very purpose. Right. I buy rolls of dog poop bags like a lot of dog owners do. Mm-hmm. When you wouldn't have, if you had plastic bags. Anyway, yeah, you got to just look through the unforeseen consequences to get to the right spot. Oh, that reminds me. We think we know who the pooper is in our neighborhood. It's not somebody actually pooping on people's lawns. Nothing that exciting, but the person who doesn't. Fecal matter. That's right, Johnny. Uh, we think we know who's not cleaning up after their dog. And I'm trying to figure out what to. I vowed to commit a homicide. I'm starting to think maybe that's not the best way to deal with it. I didn't have my phone with me the other day. I wanted to take a picture. It was going to be such a great piece of art. It was going to end up being shown in a museum, this photo. Um, there was in my, in, you know, the super progressive park next door, got a dog park and there are, there are bags provided people. It's a community thing. Everybody provides bags all the time. And right there next to the clean up after your dog sign and the bags that are being provided by the community, you don't even have to pay for them within three steps of there is a giant load from some big dog nice. there on the grass. And I thought that is there everything you, you need to know about why you have to have rules because this is mankind right here. Amen to that. We will finish strong next. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. If there's a prosecution of Donald Trump for mishandling classified information after the Clinton debacle, there'll be riots in the street. Lindsey Graham, sitting U.S. senator, predicting riots in the street if they try to prosecute Trump for the whole paperwork thing. You got Joe Biden, the president of the United States, for his party, saying that uh, the MAGA crowd or Republicans, which did he say, are semi-fascist the other day. None of that stuff is helpful in lowering the temperature, I don't think. No, and of course they're trying to describe Lindsey Graham and that quote as having suggested that it was appropriate that there be rioting in the street. He did no such thing, although to me, for my mind, he could have said, you know, that would be terrible and we don't want that, but he left it hanging there. So that kind of talk out of so many of our politicians leads you to 40% of Americans think civil war likely within a decade according to a YouGov poll, and they point out that that poll is in line with several other polls that have asked the same question. Um, do you think people are answering that honestly, or is just kind of an expression of, I'm concerned? Surely 40% of Americans don't think we're going to be in a civil war within 10 years. No, I'd be curious how they defined it, but you'd have to ask each person. That That's troubling, needless to say. Figure increases to more than half among self-identified strong Republicans. Uh, yeah, well, you know, a couple things there. I don't know what it has been in the past. i got to assume it's been a lot lower, though. Mm-hmm. 65% of all respondents, two-thirds of all respondents, said political violence has increased since the start of 2021. I don't know if that is technically true, but it certainly feels that way. 
Um, but this, I agree with, 62% thought political violence would increase in the next few years. Put me in that camp. Yeah. Oh. I think that's guaranteed. There's a hole in the show, and you know it's time to go. It's time for final thoughts. On your feet. Here's your host. Four final thoughts, Joe Getty. How about a final thought from everybody on the crew to wrap things up for the day? There he is, our technical director, Michelangelo. Michael? The most fascinating thing of today's show was learning that 80% of people have never been on an airplane. Hmm. That's four out of five people in the world. I just thought that was... I can't believe that stat. Yeah. It's true, Michael. Never question me. Uh, young Alex is our behind-the-scenes producer. Alex, a final thought for us? Yeah, we talked about eating in bed, and that might be my biggest pet peeve when I was dating. I remember one date, she came back to the house. We just had dinner, and she'd brought leftovers. Started eating them in bed, and needless to say, that was the last time I saw her. Oh, that is... Yeah, wow, leftovers in bed. I'll continue yeah. that with my final thought. Yeah, that's such a tough situation. I mean, uh, either way, whether you're for it or against it, the eating in the bed or the pets in the bed, I mean, you can be like meet them and you like each other and you have similar interests and so many things point in the right direction. But that one thing, how are you going to get past that? One of you has to give. Right, right. Well, they say the bed's for two things, sleeping and loving. Don't watch TV in the bed. Don't read in the bed. Don't eat in the bed. No calisthenics in the bed. Sleeping and loving. That's what it's for. How about a dog and a whole bunch of crumbs from your uh, your d- 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 midnight snack? Hello, Motel 6. I'm out. <laughs> oh, jeez. See, I don't believe that. I don't believe you'd blow up your marriage if Judy decided to want to eat in the bed. There wouldn't be one. If she was eating in the bed and had the dog in the bed, we wouldn't have gotten together. Or we'd sleep down the hall from each other, getting together for conjugal visits like I'm a murderer. <laughs> like I'm a murderer. Armstrong Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. So many people who thank so little time. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. We've got some fabulous Armstrong and Getty swag, including the Nuke the Moon t-shirt, limited edition. That's my suggestion. If the Chinese actually take over the moon, we'll have to nuke it. Uh, and many other fine fashion items. So you'd be texting down the hallway, you up? See you tomorrow. Uh-huh. God bless America. I'm strong and getty. How is this sanitary? It's rather preposterous, isn't it? I'm gonna call my lawyer. Gonna. I, are you sure of that, dude? Well, yep. Absolutely. Okay. What about the Mar-a-Lago? Get the hell out of here! Yeah. That's not hyperbolic. That's academic. It's true. I can't speak for everybody else, but... I'm not a cat. If you have, even for a moment, shame on you. Shame on you. Adios. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. 
Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 